Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States of America. And we see it here again today in companies like, and I hope I pronounced it right, Ame Power. Is it Ame? I believe that's right, yeah. Ame Power, Florida Small Business Winner Award winner, or uh, Business Week winner. You won. This has been the President of the United States of America. May God have mercy on our souls. Stu does America. Help us push back against the rapid, unscheduled disassembly of America. Go to blazetv.com slash stew. Use the promo code stew to save 10 bucks. If you're watching on YouTube, like this video right now. Subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell for notifications. Do all the things. Former investment banker Carol Roth is going to be joining us with the latest on First Republic Bank and what its seizure means for our country. Late night hosts are scrambling to avoid being even worse than they normally are because the writers are going on strike. But we start by doing immigration versus guns. First of all, we welcome you to the program if you've uh, looking if you've been looking around because you said, hey, uh, my network has canceled my favorite 8 p.m. show. We're happy you're here. We know a lot of you are, and we do appreciate it. And we're looking into something really important today. The border. What is going on down there? And what can we do about it? Right now, there's sort of two different messages coming out from the White House. One is, holy crap, do we have a really big problem down there. They are supposedly, I mean, even the Biden administration is admitting to this, U.S. to temporarily send 1,500 troops to the Mexico border. And the reason for this is, of course, we have Title 42 about to evaporate. That means we could see tens of thousands of illegal immigrants crossing the border. And, of course, we're already seeing that. We've had a border crisis that has been going on for about two years now and really has shown no sign of stopping since the day that Joe Biden walked into the White House. A lot of the pent-up demand was there when Trump was here and people somehow got the signal he didn't want them crossing the border and coming into this country. He kept talking about building the wall and such, so people kind of stayed away. And as soon as Joe Biden got into office, people said, hey, this is the guy that kept saying how bad Donald Trump was and how much he wanted us here, so let's go. They did that, and they've been crossing the border ever since. Now, of course, there have been some restrictions from the Trump era that have prevented the worst case scenario from occurring, but that's about to go away, and that's why we're seeing 1,500 troops sent to the border. I want to give you a picture. I was on uh, the News and Why It Matters today. Of course, great show. You should watch it. Sarah Gonzalez hosts it. It's on with Pat Gray today. And we were, uh, she was talking about the border at the beginning of the show, and she showed some footage from El Paso, which is jaw-dropping. I mean, this is a U.S. city. If you look at this footage, what you see are hundreds and, I guess, thousands of people out sleeping on sidewalks, sleeping in tents, walking around in the middle of the night uh, in an area that is just decimated by illegal immigration and the problems surrounding it. There are a lot of problems in our major cities, but our border towns really seem to get the worst of it. And that does not seem to be stopping. Now, you might say, okay, well, you said that you were kind of talking out of two sides of their mouth. I don't understand. I mean, that's pretty clear. They're sending 1,500 troops to the border. What do you mean about the other side of their mouth? Well, that other side of the mouth is represented by one of the dumbest people you know, Corinne Jean-Pierre, who blurts out one of the most obviously false statistics that anyone has ever uttered from the White House podium. And I, and I, I mean this sincerely. There have been a lot of them. 
There have been lot people lie for a living in this room. That is what you do when you have this job. Even with that standard, Corinne Jean-Pierre has hit a brand new low trying to pass this one off on the American people. He has tools that he's used to, to make sure that we do this. We actually deal with the immigration system in a humane way mm, sure. uh, and in a, in a way that is, uh, is uh, that actually uh, deals with what we're seeing at the border. And that's why you've seen the parolee program be so successful. Mm. Uh, it has, it has, um, it has uh, uh, when it comes to illegal migration, you've seen it come down uh, by more than 90%. And that's because oh. of this act, the actions that this president has taken. Ah, down by 90%, more than 90%. What a miracle. Uh, also, not even close to true. Not even close to true. It's maybe a tad disturbing that she's dressed like the green giant from vegetable packaging, as she says it. Uh, and she's also, I don't know if you noticed this, she's reading all of it, and then she's blinking at about 1,945 blinks per minute. Because whatever she gets to the point where she doesn't understand what she's reading, she just blinks furiously. Look for this. It's a tell. It's very funny to watch. I don't know why the St. Patrick's Day outfit was on. That's a whole uh, another story. Now, Steve Ducey, who is literally the only one, he's the only one who ever asks a difficult question of any of these people. And it's really frustrating. It would be nice on a something as blatantly obvious as this, someone else would step up and ask about it. Of course, that doesn't happen. It's left to Steve Ducey, who does ask about this ridiculous claim made by Corinne Jean-Pierre. You said yesterday that when it comes to illegal migration, you've seen it come down by more than 90 percent. Where did that number come from? It was, because I was CBP speaking. is telling us the number is. I hear you. I'm about to answer. I'm about, people more I'm about to answer you. Year so if you, far. if you, if the dramatics could come down just a little bit, I, uh, it, if the dramatics could come down a little what's bit. What's dramatic about asking a question about? Okay, I'm good. I'm going to answer. So I was speaking to the parolee program. As you know, the president put in place a parolee program to deal with uh, to deal with certain countries uh, on on ways that we can limit illegal migration. And we have seen the data has shown us that it has gone down by more than ninety percent. That was what I was speaking and to. No, I'm, really we're, we're going to go. We're going to move. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Mm. Also, she seemed a little sweaty on that one. A little sweaty. Look, uh, th maybe this is why she was wearing the uh, the double-barreled uh, green giant uniform the day before, because you don't see the pit stains, and that's uh, that's something that's no, no, that's not you. Wow, that's really she's. Uh, what's you need some arid extra dry? That would be something that you would use there. Um, look, obviously, legal immigration is not down 90 percent. We're setting new records every month. This is blatantly obvious to everyone that she knows of. We'll look into the parolee program specifically to see if that number is even true. Usually when someone says something like this, they know what they're saying is a lie, but there's something they're attaching it to, some way for them to back themselves out in case someone calls them out. I don't know if I expect that from Corinne Jean-Pierre. I don't know if it's based on anything. She is usually reading it, so you'd think that whoever's typing up her, uh, whatever she's supposed to say every day, at least they would know what it was, but I mean, certainly Corinne Jean-Pierre doesn't seem to know. Now, all of this is on the backs of a terrible story that happened here in Texas over the past week, uh, a murder situation, which was really one of the worst stories you could imagine. U.S. Border Patrol on the lookout for Texas massacre suspect, source says, as authorities scramble for leads. And now, of course, this story begins as a story of tragedy, right? I mean, this story is so incredibly gruesome. A guy is shooting his gun, apparently his front yard, 11 o'clock at night. Neighbors come over. 
what we know, or at least we think we know at this point, is that the neighbors came over and said, hey, our baby's sleeping, can you stop that? Uh, in exchange for that, uh, that request, he took the gun over there and shot five of them. And one of the most disturbing details of the story is that none of the injuries were below the neck. This is someone who came in and literally executed shooting five people in the head, including like an eight-year-old. An awful, awful story. So that's the first layer. The second layer is this guy's still on the loose somewhere, we think. Now, he could be dead. Maybe he killed himself somewhere. Who knows? But they don't know where he is. They don't know where he's gone. He could be on the loose. Uh, you know, Texas is pretty big. Uh, so, you know, we are in the same state, however, and I think a lot of people, uh, you know, that's nowhere near where we are. But people in that area are worried, hey, is this guy going to show up at my place next? They don't know. They don't know what's going to happen, but they are looking out for people. After all of the important things, of course, go, you get to the place where the pol politics come in. And the politics have broken down basically on party lines, sort of how you'd expect them to. Um, first of all, conservatives are talking about the border. Uh, liberals are talking about guns. And I thought maybe we look at which one is the one we should be talking about. I mean, is there an easy answer to this? Because I think there is in this particular case. Sometimes there's not. In this particular case... There certainly is. Yes, we're having the, this sort of dumb back and forth, but this is not an equal battle on this particular situation. The guy who did this murdering had been deported five times. Five times. He had been convicted uh, and, and suspected of multiple other crimes as well. But to be deported five times is a sentence that should never be said. It's not tough border policy to catch someone deport them back to their home country and then catch them again and deport them again. That's not a tough border policy. That's not even a law. That's just a, it's a recommendation. It's a slight inconvenience to someone who wants to be here. You don't deport someone five times. You deport them once. If they come back in after you've deported them once, that's it. No more chances. You should go to prison. You should be locked up here and you'll get your wish. You'll be in the United States, but be locked up here rather than be free somewhere else, free to cross our border once again. That's just the blatantly obvious answer here. You know, these people who commit crimes like this are often the ones that commit the next series of crimes. Recidivism is a thing. When you go and you cross that line of illegal activity, you're much more likely to commit a crime once again. You know, I mean, that's just blatantly obvious. Everyone knows this and everyone is familiar with this concept. Um, you know, it's funny. Like, are we what are we trying to come up with here? Are we going to deport people four times, five times? How many times? 20 times? What's the number? You know, a lot of times if you think to yourself, well, the policy that I'm defending right now, how do we judge whether it's a rational policy? If you're talking about deportation, you might ask yourself, well, what's the rational policy here? So instead of trying to defend what exists now, the system of craziness that we currently have, instead, do a little uh, experiment with yourself. If you're on the left and you think, oh, this deportation policy makes a lot of sense, don't defend the status quo. Propose what you're asking for as a new law. Let's say we had no immigration laws. Let's say we were founding a new country. We we're playing Sim City or Sim Country. And you need to come up with brand new rules. Just propose this one as you would describe it. Like, for example, the first deportation, number one, we would return you to your country of origin. This is apparently the Biden's administration's five deportation limit law. Then deportation two, we would return you to the country of your origin. 
Deportation three, uh, deportation three, return to country of origin. Deportation four, return to country of origin. Deportation five, return to country of origin. And then deportation six, uh, stern admonishment? I, I don't know. What are we planning here? Now, I, I say jokingly stern admonishment for deportation six. That's largely because they haven't proposed anything for deportation six. We're acting as if they don't want it to happen a sixth time, but they don't care. They just take these people and they release them back into their country, knowing that, of course, they're going to cross the border again because they're criminals. They've been doing this over and over and over and over again. It's no big shake to be able to say, hey, we got somebody who broke the law. You have to lock them up and make sure that they don't break the law again. Now, the left is trying to make this into a big gun story. Well, first of all, an illegal immigrant has no legal right to buy a gun in the United States in the first place. So no matter what law you passed, it would not prevent an illegal immigrant from getting a gun the way he got one. Of course not. You know, uh, the left always wants to say we need to have gun control and that will solve these problems. And like if, again, we're playing SimCity and you're starting a city from scratch or a country from scratch and you want to have different policies, perhaps you could ban guns. But you live in a country where there's 400 million guns already out there in the hands of mostly legal gun owners. Acting as if right now reality does not tell you it would be impossible to get rid of these guns would be completely ridiculous. If you banned AR-15s, I can tell you what the result would be. More guns would be on the street in five years than they were now. How can I say that? Well, I've got an experiment already. They banned AR-15 sales back in the, uh, in the 90s, and we had far more weapons on the streets after that ban than we did before it. One of the reasons is AR-15s are expensive. They're a couple thousand dollars. So instead of buying a, a gun that costs a couple thousand dollars, people might buy four $250 guns and still have a thousand dollars left. People buy gun after gun after gun if they want to. It's not going to be the type of thing that you're going to be able to stop. Remember, these bans, even the most aggressive bans that were proposed during the Obama administration, ban new sales of these guns. So more guns are going to be on the street. There's no way to get 400 million off of the street. If you want to change the Constitution, you could do that. But you're acting as if you're not a country that already has 400 million guns on the street, a constitutional right to have them, and a culture that surrounds it. You want to have North Korea? You can have North Korea. You want to put a communist dictatorship in power? That's something you could do. You'd have to do it by force here in America or repeal the entire constitution. But in theory, I guess you can have that. I doubt there is a lot of gun crime that goes on between North Korean citizens. Now, of course, we know the government murders lots of people, but... You know, maybe they're not shooting each other. You want to give up that kind of freedom to get that result? Maybe that's what's going on in China, too. You want to give up that kind of freedom to get that kind of result? I don't. And most people don't in America as well. And here's the thing. The one thing that goes along with the North Korean policy, one thing that's really important with the North Korean policy, look, talk to Christian missionaries who want to go help people in North Korea. What they will tell you is it's very difficult to get inside. They have an extremely powerful border situation in North Korea. And, you know, if you combine a gun ban with an open border, that does no good. This illegal immigrant, any one of the six times he crossed the border, could have just brought this gun with him from Mexico. And then what? 
then he's the only one with a gun and none of our citizens have them. These are not equal arguments. The gun part of this is not even part of this equation. It's a silly fallback argument because this one's so blatantly obvious. The problem here is, of course, the border. You continue to allow repeat offenders to come in over and over and over again. You go to these cities where people are getting arrested 100, 200, 300 times, not an exaggeration, 300 times in a city. And they were released over and over again to terrorize the citizens of that city. People are crossing the border not just five times or six times, but dozens of times and getting deported dozens of times. And then what? They come back in here and they commit other associated crimes. This has gone on way, way, way too long. It's really difficult to stop a person with no criminal history who uh, is 25 years old and has no criminal history and has a beef with people at work and it goes out of control and he decides one day to go into a gun shop and buy a gun legally uh, with nothing on his record whatsoever, passes a federal background check, and then walks in and murders a bunch of his coworkers. That is a terrible, terrible crime. But it's almost impossible to stop. How do you know this person's going to do this? Even when we hear the rumors of, well, he's kept to himself and he was a little weird and we always wondered he was angry a lot and we didn't know and, you know, we had our suspicions. It's still really, really hard to know whether that person's just, you know, a typical weirdo or if it's someone who's going to do something terrible. But one thing we do know for sure is that people who have already committed a dozen crimes are more likely to commit that 13th crime than somebody else who's never done anything wrong. And we can stop a lot of these people. When we catch them on the third and the fourth and the fifth and the sixth crime, there's no reason why we have to unleash that person back on society again. One of the most successful ways to stop crime is to take the people who are already guilty, who've already committed previous crimes, and make sure when they commit another one, you've given them that second chance and they're still breaking the law. Those are the people you have to worry about. Put them away. Separate them from us, citizens who don't break the law, citizens who don't cross the border multiple times, citizens who don't commit crime after crime after crime after crime in large cities. Take those people and remove them from the rest of us. And right there, you'd see a massive drop in crime. And what is the left proposing? They're proposing the exact opposite. Lighten these sentences. Take people who've been arrested 200 times and let them get arrested for another 100 over and over and over again, the same policy prescriptions. We have a gun problem. Oh, well, let's take the guns away from the average citizens, the people who use them responsibly, and then let's leave the border open for the gangs to bring their crime and their guns across our border into our cities to our now defenseless citizens. None of this makes any sense if you're rooting for America, if you're an America fan, you know? I don't like the Dallas Cowboys. You wouldn't trust me managing them. I would release all their good players and hire all their terrible, a bunch of terrible free agents. I would be a bad steward, maybe not as bad as Jerry Jones, but a bad steward of the Dallas Cowboys. You wouldn't trust me because my goals would be different than the team. My goals would be different than the fan. That kind of seems like what's going on here. I'm a fan of this country. I want it to succeed. I want these cities to succeed. I want people to not be murdered or have to walk through human feces on their way to work. My goal 
seems to be pretty simple and consistent with a person who's rooting for America. Can you say the same thing about our leaders in Washington? You can go all of the world. You can get all sorts of surgeries and get your face all chopped up and do all sorts of crazy stuff. But why would you do that when you can go with GenuCell instead? We're talking about the best in skincare. Claire, a a customer, said, I absolutely love GenuCell. My skin feels so good, tighter, younger, with a more even tone, and I only use it for a week. My advice for everyone, take a before picture. It's true, nothing works like GenuCell because it's a family recipe for over 20 years. It's made by a compounding pharmacist in small batches, and it's always safe, cruelty-free, and natural. Right now, you can go to GenuCell.com stew and save over 70% off GenuCell's most popular package featuring their Ultra Retinol and Dark Spot Corrector. This is a great gift for Mother's Day that's coming up. It's the best in skincare. Don't wait. GenuCell.com stew. GenuCell.com stew. All orders are upgraded to free shipping, and every subscription order includes a complimentary spring spa box with three spa essentials, also free for a limited time. You can visit now at GenuCell.com stew. It's G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash stew. I'm happy to welcome Carol Roth back to the program. She's a former investment banker, author of The War on Small Business, How the Government Used the Pandemic to Crush the Backbone of America, which you can pick up today wherever you get your books. Also, our newest book, You Will Own Nothing, is coming out on July 18th. Make sure to get your pre-orders in now. Carol, how's it going? Oh, you know, it's been a, a little bit of a wild one. You never really give us a break out here when we're covering the economy, but uh, try to try to hang tight. How about you? <laughs> well, I don't know. This is why you're on. I want to know how I should feel because I will say, Carol, as of right now, I'm a little I'm a little worried. Um, let's go back through this banking thing a little bit because it starts with with uh, you know one bank. They're like, okay, this is they locked in a lot of long term interest rates, and then the interest rates went up, so they were upside down on a bunch of these investments. We had was it Signature Bank? They were saying, oh, well, the crypto exposure that's kind of what what ruined them. Now we're First National Bank. Why did we have this problem with First National Bank? Why did the government have to step in? So you're kind of talking about what the banks did. And in this particular case, it was lending mortgages to very wealthy people at very low interest rates during a very low interest rate environment. But the common thread between all of these really wasn't the specific action that the bank took. It's what the Fed created in terms of an environment. We had had 15 years about of suppressed interest rates, um, most of that with near zero interest rate policy. We had a balance sheet that got put up to almost $9 trillion. And so the idea that there weren't going to be um, consequences from that is insane. They created an environment where there was too much money in the system. And so the banks had to make decisions on what to do. And when you have too much money, a lot of times these look risky uh, in the rear view mirror. And like, like we've talked about, each one of them had a slightly different flavor on what they did. But the same thing happened. The, the Fed put too much money into the system. And then the Fed rapidly changed the game. They rapidly raised the interest rates, which turned their entire sort of game plans as well as their balance sheets upside down and really created this issue. And I think it's fundamentally important for us to basically shine a light on the Fed and say it's them playing God with the economy, their central planning, their negligent, destructive behavior in terms of monetary policy with no assist from the government, by the way, that really really is 
at the foundation of all of these issues. Yeah, it's interesting because, I, I, you know, reading up on these banks and what they did, you can really be critical of what they did, obviously, because they didn't plan for, you know, interest rates going up. They acted as if it was impossible. And there were tons of economists who seemed to be settling on this. We had solved the inflation crisis. It had been so long since we had seen it. But on the other hand, it's your job to be able to to manage these types of situations. And they should have been prepared for this, right? They absolutely should be. And that's sort of the missing puzzle piece here. You had the CEO of Silicon Valley Bank, who was actually on the board of the San Francisco Fed. You had the godfather of bank regulation, Barney Frank, who was on the board of Signature Bank. So you have people who really should have known better and should have seen what was coming um, you know, with the oversights. And the fact that all of these people missed the cues uh, just goes to show what a, what a bubble the Fed has created, not only in the economy, but in terms of the line of thinking that they could just go on and do this forever without there being any consequences or a point in time where they were going to need to change course of uh, direction. Mm. Uh, so where are we now? Because, you know, <laughs> what the, the pitch we're getting from the media today is this was the back half of the previous crisis, right? Like there was three or four banks that were caught up in this. And now we've cleared all of that out and everything's going to be fine. Is that a legitimate take as to where we are or is there more to come? I mean, they also told, told us there would be no inflation, that inflation was transitory, that the economy is fine, that bread lines were great ways to meet your neighbors, you know, all these kinds of things. Um, so I don't know that they're the most trustworthy. If you kind of look back at the Great Recession financial crisis and all the different things that happened, you had a number of bank failures with the Dow Jones hitting a high. And then it was quite some time before you started seeing those major banks starting to fail and really kind of this, you know, growing into a full-blown crisis. So I think we do have to ask ourselves, are we headed into just a recession or a full-blown crisis? Because there are plenty of other banks, maybe not quite as large as the ones we've seen, uh, but that are certainly at risk with these same kinds of issues and behaviors. We have issues in the commercial real estate market. We have issues in terms of something called CLOs or collateralized, collateralized loan obligations, which are pools of risky corporate loans may sound like something that came out of the Great Recession financial crisis, but with mortgages in that case instead of uh, corporate. We have zombie companies that are starting to go bankrupt, and we haven't even really gotten into you know where the derivatives on all of this stand, which obviously was an issue um, the prior time. So I don't believe that we are out of the woods yet. I think that this is going to continue, and uh, how bad this gets remains to be seen. Yeah, because your hope here if you are looking at this and hoping this is over, is basically that these three banks were all the dumbest three banks in the country, right? There's thousands of banks, and these were the three dumbest ones. No one else made these mistakes. No one else went down these same roads. No one else is caught up in any of the other dozen <laughs> things you just listed. It's just these three guys. They're really sloppy, and they messed it up, and now we're past it. That just does not seem realistic at all. <laughs> no, and it's not just the fact that these were necessarily the dumbest banks, because obviously some of the very large banks engaged in some of the very same behaviors. The difference with the larger banks 
banks is the scale and the diversification. So they didn't have the same risk profile when they were doing that as perhaps a smaller bank, you know, who didn't have that diversification and, and the scale to be able to withstand that. But the flip side of that is then we get the consolidation, this great consolidation, and we end up with just a handful of banks, which is not good for the consumer. It's not good for competition. It certainly isn't good for the future in terms of uh, potential implementation of things like central bank digital currencies. So, you know, we've got to hope that some of these smaller guys survive and that we don't just keep seeing this consolidation with the biggest players that can withstand this. But, you know, we're also only talking about what's happening in the U.S. We did obviously have, you know, one one and a half issues right now um, overseas, but that also could become a contagion here. And and the the central bank intervention that we've seen in the U.S. was not a U.S. only scenario. We saw that across the globe, too. So, yeah, in terms of um, stupidity, I think there's a, a lot of that to go around, Stu. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned um, the commercial real estate, and this is one I don't think people have talked a lot about. I mean, I've recently seen a chart. I mean, you can think about commercial real estate in, in previous collapses. You think about, you know, there's one in the 80s. Uh, there was one in, you know, around, of course, the 2008-2009 era, era. And the current chart is tracking almost identically with the 2008-2009 crisis as far as how fast this is falling. And you think about the current condition here where we are post-pandemic, where people aren't needing as much, you know, real estate. I mean, these big corporations, we have parking lots around here, Carol, that are still two-thirds empty, giant parking lots, because no one's coming back to work. They're all working from home. They don't need this much space anymore. This one seems like it could be a real long-term drag on the economy. Absolutely. And the, the other data points that uh, I think are relevant here is that if you look at mortgages on commercial real estate, about half of all mortgages need to be refinanced in the next two years, going from a low uh, interest rate environment to a very high interest rate environment, dealing with those issues that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And in particular, you highlighted that commercial office building like that. That is the space that is hurting the most almost a quarter of those need to be refinanced this year. Oh so, God. you know, when you have a, a building that's not doing particularly well, this low interest rate, you have to come in and refinance that at a high interest rate. Like, how is that going to work? Um, I think that's going to be a really big issue. And we really haven't seen the impact of that kind of cycling through here. So yeah, buckle up, kids. <laughs> um, I'd love to give you uh, some good news here, but let's instead go over to the debt ceiling situation <laughs> Fabulous. that's going on. We know our debt is out of control. It's been out of control for a while. The debt ceiling was put in to just give us an occasional wake-up call, a slap across the face to say, hey, you guys might want to change your direction here. Instead, what the left wants to do is just open it up to infinity and just let us spend whatever we want. Republicans are coming in with, I, mean, I would say, really... You know, not not major cuts, but, you know, some fiscal responsibility they're trying to implement. They really have no way of doing it. And, you know, Biden is basically saying, I'm not going to give you anything here. What came out this week, though, was Janet Yellen saying, OK, it's not going to be September where this de this hard deadline is. It's now maybe June 1st. They move this up a lot. Is that a real deadline? Is there more they can do past that? Or are they just trying to terrify everyone? 
<laughs> well, I think what's happening is that they're getting less in terms of tax receipts because the economy has a drag on it than perhaps they had thought they would have at this point in time. Um, the reality is, I mean, if I had a dollar for every time I was on TV talking about the debt ceiling and them <laughs> defaulting on debt, like I might be able to pay down a nice portion of the national <laughs> debt. Certainly not all of it. Uh, but, you know, the reality is that they have money that is coming in and they just have to make a priority of where they spend it. So they may not be able to do all of their spending, but if they choose to not do the spending on the debt versus maybe shutting some things down for a while, which wouldn't be a, a big loss to, to any of us, um, certainly I think they could squeeze some extra time and, and make the debt payment a priority. So I, it would be like if they, they actually choose to not pay the debt instead of you know something else, then we just know that it, they're intentionally trying to tank everything and just you know do a do a global financial reset right now. I just don't think that probably is what's going to happen. But I do want to go back to your point about the whole like concept of a ceiling here, right? This is supposed to say, okay, we're going to cap the overspending, like we're we're going to just you know, put a lid on it. And they have modified this due more than 100 times since the end of World War II and managed to rack up 31.7 trillion dollars in the process. So I don't think the concept of a ceiling is working here. They definitely need to restructure this. The, the current financial trajectory is completely unsustainable. And the ceiling is really more of like a, a somebody said, I think like a, a convertible car roof or something. <laughs> it just it just opens up and you know, there you go. The, the sky is the ceiling. Yeah, we're not asking for that much. It's not like we said we have to spend within our means. Like no one's even requesting that anymore. Now <laughs> we're just saying, hey, just try not to cross the $32 trillion barrier. And even that we can't handle. It's, it's really amazing. Uh, Carol Roth, be sure to check out the, uh, her book with the war on small business, how the government used the pandemic to crush the backbone of America. And the new one, it's coming out soon. You will own nothing except this book. This thing, the book you can own. You will own nothing else. Uh, that drops on July 18th. Make sure to get your pre-orders in now. Carol, thanks so much for coming on the program and explaining all of this to us. Always a pleasure. It's no secret that there's been a war on comedy uh, lately. You're not allowed to joke about anything uh, anymore. Well, Blaze TV is going to do something about that. Uh, we're embarking on a mission to save comedy. We need it. And uh, honestly, it's an important part of our culture. We are launching this mission starting uh, just a couple days from now, May 4th, by releasing our first ever full-length comedy film. It's called Reopening. It's a mockumentary. You know, if you think of, uh, if you don't know mockumentaries, you know, you think The Office, you think uh, you know, some of the Christopher Guest movies, uh, a lot of those uh, types of things. They're really funny. Uh, a fake documentary that follows the cast and crew of a small community theater as they struggle to reopen during the heart of the COVID-19 pandemic. And like, you know, I think... When you watch the you, you watch a, a comedy coming from the conservative side, sometimes it just beats you over the face, and it's just like, hey, you know, here's my political point. This movie's not like that. It's just funny. You're going to enjoy it, and it's still mocking all the crazy stuff we all had to go through during uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic. You're going to like it a lot. I think it's a Thursday, May fourth, eight p.m. Eastern. Now, of course, that's also the time this show airs. So I would say. I don't know. Maybe watch that and come watch us on demand or vice versa. Uh, but anyway, it's called Reopening and you're going to like it. It's uh, streaming a live pre-show as well on YouTube and Facebook with members of the cast. And the movie itself will be available exclusively on Blaze TV. You can watch it over and over again. In order to join the fun, head over to blazetv.com reopening. Use the code 
reopening. You'll get 20 bucks off your subscription. BlazeTV.com slash reopening. The promo code is reopening. Can I take a moment just to complain about my business in particular? You know, first of all, we had the Tucker thing that's happened over the past couple of weeks here. And, you know, it's just completely ridiculous. And then the way they're treating him out, out the door, instead of treating him as someone who you know, after Bill O'Reilly leaves, they have this empty slot that they have to fill with someone. And Tucker does a good job at restoring that time slot to its prominence. Do they treat him well? No, they fire him. They don't even explain to the fans of the network why he's gone. They don't even, they don't even bother to tell them. And then they trash him on the way out, allegedly. Allegedly, leaking videos to media matters to try to ruin him. Disgraceful uh, in, every, in every fashion. And then we have other developments. By the way, welcome if you, uh, I mean, I don't want Tucker to be gone. I wish he was still on Fox News at 8 o'clock. But until he pops up somewhere else, thanks for coming here. We appreciate it. And I know we are on at 8 p.m. Eastern. So it's kind of convenient, you know. You might as well just keep coming back. Um, in addition to that, you have a bunch of organizations over the years who have talked about this particular network and Glenn Beck, who at the time was the head of it, failing over and over again. He's a disaster. He's failing. He's no longer prominent. I mean, we're seeing that even in some of the Tucker coverage to this day, despite the fact that this you know, network is as healthy as it's ever been. It's very, you know, has a huge audience now. It's grown in leaps and bounds from back in the day when they were making those claims. And now many of the organizations who were making the claims at the time are going out of business. Vice is gone. Well, they're filing for bankruptcy this week, once valued at $5.7 billion Dollars. They had hundreds of millions of dollars in venture capital uh, into their organization back in 2017. And of course, they uh, were one of the people along uh, BuzzFeed News. The same thing happened. Vox had a situation like this. So many of these places came along and told every, told us that we were going to fail. Yeah, we're still here somehow. Look, I'm as surprised as they are. We're still here. We're still going. We're still thriving. And then on the other side, they're gone. Bye-bye. Good riddance. But it is kind of notable, is it not? There's no big venture capitalists coming up to conservative media. We have to run on, like, uh, you know, actually making money and trying to please our audience and trying to do things that they're interested in. It's a totally different standard. And once again, that standard is biting them on the butt. And I will also note that the film and TV writers are going on strike, uh, bringing production on many shows to a halt, including all these late night shows who go there every single night and have, uh, you know, a dozen, two dozen, three dozen writers writing them, jo- them, them jokes. They're still not funny. All they do is just tell you dumb liberal tweets, basically. Uh, that's the quality of the content you're getting from them. And now their writers go on strike and they can't even produce a show. I mean, couldn't Jimmy Kimmel just come out and have a conversation? I've heard him have conversations before. He seems to be a relatively interesting guy and is, you know, just off the top of his head. Why can't he just come out and talk? I don't know if Colbert could do that. I have no evidence to to show that he could, but maybe he could. Can't Jimmy Fallon just come out and talk to somebody? Can't he just do a show? Does he really have to completely cancel all production because his writers are on strike? It just shows how pathetic this industry is. Uh, You know, just suck it up. Do your own writing for once. How about that? Come out and tell some jokes. Have an interesting point. Maybe do something better than what you've been doing over the past five or ten years. Something valuable to society. It's just a recommendation, but who am I? You know, I'm just a guy who still works at a network that continues to be on the air. Back in a second. 
So you've got the pants, you've got the shirt, you've got the shoes, everything you need to dress to impress, and you turn heads every single time you walk out the door. Well, of course, that's you. Unfortunately, the reason why they're looking at you is because your pants just fell down. You, know, you don't have a belt. You gotta have a belt to keep your pants up. Grip6 has these belts for you. They're a great company in Utah that sell in the United States and all over the world, but sources almost everything they use to make its products right here in America. Their belts are minimalist, so they're not jetting out of your shirt. Uh, you can get them customized. Uh, they're, it's really cool. You can also go through, um, you get the kind with the carbon fiber, so you can go through the uh, airport detectors and not set them off. It's great if you happen to be a frequent traveler, if you're a salesman, you're on the planes all the time, you know that can be annoying. Uh, and if all that wasn't great enough, Grip6 also carries an awesome selection of socks and wallets you can check out. Again, all made here in America, sourced here in America, even with American wool. That's really, really rare. It's, it's Grip6, and they do this for you every day. Grip6.com slash stew. Use the code stew. You'll save 15%. Grip the number 6.com slash stew. Grip6.com slash stew. Get 15% off today with the code stew. An Indiana councilman who was born a Caucasian male recently has come out as a lesbian woman of color has pushed back on calls for him to resign after he also reportedly received death threats. No shock. Uh, Delaware County, all these conservative, conservative haters are probably trying to kill him, right? No, uh, not really. Delaware County Councilman Ryan Webb announced he is now identifying as a Native American, given he purports to have uh, Cherokee ancestors on both sides of his family. He's also declared that he is identifying as a woman and a lesbian because he remains married to his female wife. He's also keeping he, him pronouns and uh, keeping uh, he's still married to his female wife. But that doesn't make any difference. He says uh, in a social media post, he said he's honored to shatter the glass ceiling and will be a vocal partner for the LGBTQIAPC plus 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 community. Now, the issue here is that he's a Republican and some people are saying, well, wait a minute, he's just screwing around. He's not actually identifying um, as a uh, as a woman. Um, That's also the case with all men who say that. They're they're just saying they're a woman. They haven't actually become a woman. That's how all of these work. But just so you know, uh, this particular congressman is going to come on the air with us tomorrow on radio. If you want to hear from him and his incredible story of transition that must be celebrated, because the only thing you have to do to get to the other side when you want to identify as something else is just say it in all circumstances, except this one, because he's a Republican, I guess. And if that particular transgendered person has committed a mass shooting, then the media is fine to say that that transition wasn't really real. But this one, I'm sure is, and we'll talk to that congressman on the radio tomorrow, uh, of course, 8 or 9 to uh, noon Eastern on Blaze TV. You can see it right here as part of your subscription. Okay, so here's what happened. So a concert in L.A. was going on, a uh, playing playing of Tchaikovsky's Fifth. And at one of the big swells of the music, some person let out a giant sound of what appeared to be an orgasm. And here it is. And I had a, it sounded like someone got murdered. I don't I don't know what that sounded like, uh, but it did happen at the Walt Disney Concert Hall, which you might sound like maybe it's an inappropriate place to have an orgasm at the Walt Disney Concert Hall. But honestly, the way Disney's going, it might be the most family friendly thing they do this month. 
Um, so there you go. That's uh, and people have always said Tchaikovsky, huge ladies' man. Mm-hmm. It's true. Uh, that's the way it works. By the way, you could still get on uh, your uh, get on with the efforts to repeal the 16th Amendment. Get it at repeal16thamendment.com. Mugs, T-shirts, and more. Use the code Stu10 to save 10%. We'll see you tomorrow.